said last week to the churches, this is the second of the seven letters. Ephesians, as we looked at last week, that was the careless church. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. This week we're looking at Smyrna, the crushed church. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. The earthly recipients is, of course, Smyrna, the church there, these believers. Smyrna was 35 miles north of Ephesus. It had a natural seaport, the second most wealthy city in Asia. It's only mentioned, by the way, here in the Bible. It's not mentioned any other place. We don't know how the church started. It could have started from Paul or one of his disciples or followers. It could have been some layman even that may have come from Ephesus to start this church at Smyrna. But this is the only place that's mentioned in the Bible. It became the center for the imperial cult of Rome and emperor worship. There was a contest basically that went on to become the center of Caesar worship there in Asia, and Smyrna was chosen. It may have helped, of course, that they were probably one of the most wealthy cities in that area, as well as the fact that they were that natural seaport. It is only one of two churches that there's no record of criticism. The other church, of course, as you know, is... Oh, you don't know. <laughs> it's Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. So the earthly recipients are their church there at Smyrna. The divine author, of course, is Jesus Christ. It says there, uh, these things says the first and the last... He's the Almighty One. He's eternal. He's always existed in the past and always exists into the future. He reigns supreme over His creation, the Almighty One, who was dead and came to life. He's, he is the eternal hope. He was resurrected to eternal life. He didn't stay in the grave. He satisfied God's righteous demands. It, behooves us or says, speaks to us that we need to keep eternal values in view. We get our perspective skewed many times because we look about what the things are happening here on earth and we forget to look to the eternal one, our eternal hope. So the recipients are of Smyrna. The author, of course, is Christ himself. In Christ we have a love that can never be fathomed, a life that can never die, a righteousness that can never be tarnished, a peace that can never be understood, a rest that can never be diminished, a hope that we can never be disappointed, a glory that can never be clouded, a light that can never be darkened, a purity that can never be defiled, a beauty that can never be marred, a wisdom that can never be baffled, resources that can never be exhausted the Almighty One, the eternal hope. That's what we have in Christ. Verse 9 and 10 then. Christ's comfort for the believers there at Smyrna. I believe there's four areas. I, uh, let me just look, read through verse 9 so you can pick them up. I know your works tribulation. That, that, that has to do with the pressure. I'll explain that in a minute. And poverty. But you are rich. 
I know the blasphemy. That's the profanity that has been leveled against him. Verse 10, do not fear those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. That's the fourth area. The, pr- the pressure. I know about the pressure. I know your tribulation. Flipsis. I don't know you didn't catch that. Flipsis. That's the Greek word for tribulation. What it means is pressure. It's the, this, is the, this is the word picture. If you were laying on the ground and someone took a huge round boulder and rolled it over you, it would not only break every bone in your body, but probably would kill you. That's the kind of pressure. That's the word picture here of flipsis. It's the grinding of the grain between the stones of a gristmill, bringing it to a fine powder. This was a crushing pressure being leveled on these Christians that any and one or all physical, monetary, persecution, emotional relationship. And as he says, he knows. See, Jesus could say, I know. He, could, he can empathize. He knows what it means to be crushed. He was blasphemed as having worked miracles in the name of Satan. He experienced the twisted crown of thorns pushed onto his head. He was slapped, spit on, he was beaten. He was ridiculed as though he were a clown by forcing him to wear a purple robe. He was goaded by Roman soldiers to prophesy who struck him while blindfolded. He was even insulted by the criminals condemned to die with him. People still treat Jesus this way. See, when he says, I know, this was experiential knowledge. He understood. He understands the pressures that are come to bear upon us. So when he spoke to these believers at Smyrna, he could emphatically say to them, I know about the pressure. The second thing we see, I know about the poverty. This poverty is abject poverty. This is a uh, poverty-stricken. This is a destitute state. This is where someone broke into your house, robbed you of all your valuables, beat you, burned your house down, and on top of that, you lost your job. You had no way of recovery. This is the poverty he's speaking of here. This isn't just, oh, I don't have any money. No, they had nothing. This is the type of poverty. This is what he's talking about. He says, I know about the poverty. The Jews in Nazi, Nazi Germany suffered that. The Christians in the Islamic State suffer that, suffer that. Homes are vandalized. Parents executed. Children even executed. Businesses broken into. All their goods are stolen. I know about the poverty. I know about the profanity. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Historical records tell us what the slanderous accusations were. They came down to namely three things. The Lord's Supper, with its language about the body and the blood of the Lord, was twisted into slanderous charges of cannibalism. The great emphasis on love was turned into the slander that the Christians were given over to lust and immorality. 
with the emphasis on one God in a polytheistic culture. Christians were liable to the slanderous distortion that they were atheists. The Romans didn't care if Christians believed that Jesus was God, and they had many gods. What galled them was that Christians believed in only one God. This blasphemy, this slander that's brought against them. The last one is, I know about prison. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. just want to take a little time and look specifically at some of the things in prison. Some would be separated from families, definite period of time. The already impoverished family would be forced to survive without their parents, without their father, without their husband. It says tribulation ten days. There's two thoughts as you, as you study this out. Some believe this was a relatively short time of persecution. Historically, interesting that he'd used specifically the number 10. There was 10 edicts delivered by the Caesar or the emperor of persecution against Christians. Nero was first in 54 AD, and the last one was about Diocletian in 284 AD. In other words, over a period of 130 years, there was 10 edicts for the persecution of Christians. You will have tribulation 10 days. I believe, personally, I believe this is a reference to the 10 edicts that were delivered. As looking through, the reason I do say that is because Revelation is a book of eschatology, it's a book of last things. So it would be evident, or to my way of thinking, that this would be a, a prophecy. This is coming. Tested. It may be for discipline. We know from Second or First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse thirty to thirty-two. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you; many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may be condemned with not be condemned with the world. It may be for discipline. Certainly, if we're suffering, and 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 when we're talking about suffering, it could be the suffering that Smyrna was going through. It could be personal suffering that you may have. Maybe it's a relation. Maybe a relational issue. Maybe it has to do, maybe there is some financial issues. Maybe there is health issues. It may be for disciplinary reasons. This was the predominant thought, of, or Jewish thought, is that the reason people suffered because there was sin. It may be. But also, it may be for prevention. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, This is talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh. It says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger from Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Sometimes we suffer to keep us humble, to keep us real. Not not to put us in our place, but to realize, you know, my dependence is not in me, it's on him. I need to live in obedience to him. It may be for discipline. It may be for prevention in the case of Paul. It may be for testimony. John chapter 9, verses 2 to 3. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They were walking through a city. They came across this man who was blind. He'd been blind from his birth. And uh, so... Jewish mindset was he had to have had sin in his life or somebody sinned, that's why he's blind. 
And Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Sometimes we suffer for testimony's sake. It's actually not for us, it's actually for testimony to others. That God would be glorified. It may be for discipline, it may be for prevention, it may be for testimony, it may be for education. Hebrews 5.8 says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Romans chapter 5, verse 2 to 5, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that, Tribulations produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It may be for education, for us to learn obedience. It's corrective, if you want to put it that way. But also for us to learn patience, to develop character. So, it may be for discipline, it may be for prevention, it may be for testimony, it may be for education, it may be for compassion. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7. to seven. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God to all, and the God of all comfort, who comfort us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble, without the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. Sometimes suffering is for compassion. Because you've been there and you've done that, you can identify with that couple whose baby died after four weeks. Because you've been there and done that and you have gone through cancer or you've had a loved one die from cancer, you can be sympathized and have compassion towards those who are suffering the same. There is no cookie-cutter picture that identifies why you are suffering. It could be any of these things. And that is true. When we come to a point on which we are suffering, we can feel the buffets of Satan or other things that are happening in our lives. We need to examine ourselves. Is it for discipline? Is it for prevention? Is it for testimony's sake? Maybe it's for education. Or it may be for compassion. So why does the righteous suffer? I don't know. That's between you and God. That's where you evaluate and look at the scriptures and allow the Spirit of God to bring conviction in your heart on what he's trying to teach us at this point in time. Now let's go back to the previous slide. But you are rich. He said, you're poor, but you are rich. Verse 9, I know your works in tribulation and poverty. I know your poverty. I know the destitute state in which you're living, but you are rich. Did you get that? 
you are rich. It has nothing to do with material possessions. It has nothing to do with how many friends you have or don't have. It has nothing to do with the poverty-stricken state that you may be in. It has nothing to do with the pressures that you may be suffering from. We are rich. In Romans 2, 4, the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and patience. Romans 9, 23, the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Romans 10, 12, the Lord is rich to all who call upon him. Ephesians 11.33, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. Ephesians 2.4, the riches of his mercy. Ephesians 2.7, the exceeding riches of his grace. Just sit back a moment and let that soak into you. We are rich. It has nothing to do with status. It has nothing to do with the car we drive or don't drive. We are rich in Christ. We have all this bounty. We are so tied to things. When we need to be tied to Christ, we are rich. The second thing, in verse 10, his challenge. His challenge is rich, too. It's a rich challenge. He says, Do not fear those things you are about to suffer. His challenge to us is be fearless. Don't fear those things you are about to suffer. Would I avoid them if I could? Sure I would. But maybe I need to be re-educated. Maybe it's because I need to have more compassion. Maybe it is because Someone needs to see a testimony of enduring faith. Be fearless. I love Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of God or the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? It's written... For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are rich. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Be fearless. We're rich. We're wealthy. Second thing he says there in verse 10, be faithful unto death. Be fearless. Be faithful. G. Campbell Morgan, a pastor and author from a century ago, he pointed out that this word faithful is from the same root word which means convinced. Convinced in his power. Convinced in his grace. Convinced in his will. Convinced in his plan. Be faithful. Be convinced. Don't waver. Don't compromise. Don't doubt. We are rich. Be faith fearless. Be faithful. 
Remain convinced even in the face of death that Christ is worth following. Be faithful. Two years ago, the voice of the martyrs' ministry delivered to the West an incident of childlike faith in Christ deep inside communist China. It's a true story. Chinese officials burst into an unofficial church meeting where around 30 children were having Sunday school. They herded the children into a van and took them away to the station. Their parents raced after them. Even though it was frightening for the children, one of them began to sing. Soon the van was filled with their songs about Jesus. Upon arriving at the police station, the children marched bravely into an interrogation room, still singing to the Lord. The Chinese officials attempted to force the children to write, I do not believe in Jesus, telling them that if they, had to, if they wrote it 100 times, they would be allowed to go home. Instead, the children wrote, I believe in Jesus today, I will believe in Jesus tomorrow, I will believe in Jesus forever. The officers were exasperated with the courage and faith of these children. They called their parents back to the interrogation room and threatened them. Some of them, unfortunately, denied Christ, scooped up their children, and left. Others refused. One widowed believer absolutely refused to deny Christ when she was brought back to pick up her twin sons. The officers threatened her, saying, If you do not deny Jesus, we will not release your twin sons to you. She replied with a touch of humor, I guess you will just have to keep them, because without Jesus, I can't raise them. With no avenues left open to them, not expecting this kind of resistance, they simply said to her and the others, take your children and go. This is the challenge from the Lord. Be fearless and be faithful. Finally, or lastly there in 10, Christ's covenant with the believers. Be faithful even to the point of death, I will give you the crown of life. There's two words in the Greek language that have to do and translated crown. One, as we might be familiar with, is diadem. This is a royal crown. This is the crown the king wears or the queen wears. It's the crown of royalty. The other word, and the word that is used here, is stephanos, which is the victor's crown. What he's saying is, I will give you the victor's crown, interpreted the crown of life. Stephanos, given to the athlete who won the contest, worn at weddings and other festive occasions, gives to those who serve their community faithfully a good citizenship award, if you want to put it that way. Application, Christ reminds these suffering and impoverished believers that there will someday be given to them a wreath as victorious athletes who ran the race and finished their course. Christ will give this special crown to them and us as we celebrate the wedding feast with the bride as our kinsman redeemer. Christ will also give them and us the wreath as good citizens who advance the cause of the eternal city of God. That's a promise. Be fearless, be faithful unto death, and you receive the wreath, the victor's crown. The greatest legacy that any of us could leave behind or testimony that we could leave behind is that individuals will say of us, you know what, they were faithful unto death. Polycarp, funny name, 
name you probably won't forget once you hear it. He was a leader of the church in Smyrna for 55 years. After this letter was written by John, Polycarp was the pastor there for many, many years. He'd been a student. He'd even been a disciple of John. There was a festival in the city. This is a historical record. There was a festival in the city, and the fever pitch of Rome's glory was blazing. Remember, they were a center for worship of Rome and worship of Caesar. Someone recommended they seize Polycarp and make him declare his loyalty to Caesar. He was brought into the arena and told to either confess Caesar as Lord or die. Jewish leaders led the mob, led the charge, slandering his name. They cried out, this is the teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, the destroyer of the gods, who teaches many neither to offer sacrifice nor to worship. So Polycarp was given a choice. Sacrifice to Caesar or be burned to death. By the way, this is, this is a side note. You were required once a year to burn incense to Caesar. And if you burned incense to Caesar, a two-minute activity, you received a certificate from a, an official certificate that you burned incense to Caesar that year. If you did not have that certificate, you did not know when the stone was going to roll over you. It could happen at any time. Just a two-minute compromise of your faith could save your family a world of hurt for just one year. And then next year, you could do the same thing. Just think about it. A two-minute compromise. Who's going to know? That's all Polycarp had to do, was burn incense to Caesar. Polycarp was given a choice, sacrifice to Caesar or be burned to death. We have his immortal answer recorded and protected over the centuries. Translated for us, Polycarp said to the hushed crowd, Eighty and six years I've served Christ, and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and savior? I fear not the fire which burns for an hour, and after little is extinguished. Why do you delay? Come, do your will. In a matter of moments, he was burned to death, and the words of Christ came true for him. He received the victor's crown. Be fearless. Be faithful. I don't know what suffering you are facing or will face, but the challenge is given to the church there at Smyrna. That challenge rest comes down to us. Be fearless and be faithful because we are rich in Christ. Father, I pray as we come to the close of the service, realizing that around the world there are Christians that are being executed, children who are being deprived of life at a very young age because of their faith in Christ. And here we stand, Lord, in your power and in your might. Help us to take our eyes off the things of the world 
and look to you. Keep that eternal perspective in view. Thank you, God, that we are rich. Help us, Lord, to be fearless and faithful unto death to receive the victor's crown. In Christ's name.